Do you like to be the first name of your sex tape? Well, if you like to be the first to listen to podcasts, you might want to check out our Patreon because now we're offering a brand new membership tier called Name of Your Sex Tape. I couldn't help it, guys. I'm sorry. For five pounds a month, you'll get an ad-free version of our weekly episode on a Tuesday, a full day earlier than its usual release. So you can be the very first to talk about how funny our guest was, how quickly you cracked the case, or how badly I answered a question. Plus, you'll get all the benefits of our regular tier, including our live Zoom records, a special shout out on the podcast, and if you really like to hear us talk, we've got an entire back catalog of extra content. Check it out on patreon.com forward slash drunk women solving crime. Name of your sex tape. Name of your sex tape. Name of your sex tape. Fancy coming along to see Drunk Women Solving Crime live? Ooh, yes please. Why not join us for our monthly London residency at the marvellous Museum of Comedy? We've got monthly shows through to June. Plus, every show is a double header, so you get to see us record not one, but two episodes with two fantastic guests. You can find tickets on our website, drunkwomensolvingcrime.com. Shows are selling out fast, so be quick. Noise. Noise. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Guys, huge news. We are finally going live again every single month. We're doing a London residency. And it's at the Museum of Comedy. You can come and see one show or you can stay for the double header. Our first show is on the 20th of July and then 31st of August, 28th of September, 26th of October. Those are all Tuesdays. It's Tipsy Tuesday. Tickets can be purchased from drunkwomensolvingcrime.com. Drunk Women Solving Crime. My name's Katie Wilkins and I'm an author and comedian. I'm joined by screenwriter Hannah George. Hello. And writer-comedian Taylor Glenn. Hello. This is where Brandy meets bludgeoning, Mimosa meets misdemeanor, and Port meets prostitution. It's a true crime podcast with a twist of lime. Coming up on Drunk Women Solving Crime. Later, semen. Yes, no one's got anything funny. <laughs> wow, okay, well, I've got a lot to live up to in this story. God, it was a simpler time. <laughs> I just am super distrusting of anybody from previous time periods because they're just mostly terrible. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Drunk Women Solving Crime. This week, we are joined by the fantastic actress, entertainment reporter, and TV host, it's Heather Brooker! Yay! 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 So happy to be here. 
happy to be here, ladies. I'm Yay, so excited. Oh, we're excited to have you. Thank you so much. Sure. Yeah, we've got like live satellite link up. We've got everything going on. <laughs> Heather, we have one question on this podcast. Have you ever been the victim of a crime? I believe that I have. My husband has been, had his truck oh. robbed, like, you know, stuff stolen out of his truck. But me personally, I have not been the victim of any like crime in the traditional okay. sense. I've been more of a victim of sort of a crime against my person and okay. my body in terms of like how I get treated sometimes oh. online and the comments that people make to me. You know, I'm a plus size gal in an industry that doesn't really hold value for women who are over a size uh, two or four or, okay. you know, so um, I often get made fun of online. Some people make rude comments. I think also behind closed doors, I don't get as many opportunities as some of my more thin um, counterparts. And so to me, that's yeah. a crime. Um, I don't know if that counts in your book, but that to me that is a crime is um, because Agreed. I, I don't think that my size or my body size has any bearing on whether or not I can tell a good story and be entertaining. Yeah. And that's sort of what my industry is all Absolutely. about. So that's what I'm going to go with. <laughs> yeah. Well, that <laughs> genuinely doesn't it follow under discrimination? I was going to say is. that has a name and everything, that crime. It's got it, a name and everything. It does, but it's hard yeah. to prove because no one is ever going to outright go, we're not going to hire you because mm-hmm. you're fat or we're not going to give you this opportunity because you're mm. overweight or whatever. No one's going to do that. They're not going to outright do that. Yeah. You just get, oh, we don't have the budget mm. right now. Or, you know, we have different casting in mind. You know, you get all kinds yeah. of different excuses. But you, after a while, you kind of start to read through the lines. Like I've been a reporter um, for 20 plus years. Oh, wow. Not to like tell you how old <laughs> I am. I mean, I started when I was 12. <laughs> But I've been doing this a very long time. And so you kind of start to pick up on what's really Mm. going down. What's what's really happening. And my thing is, my whole thing is I just keep pressing on. I'm grateful for the people who do give me opportunities and who do want to cast me in their show Mm. or hire me to be a TV host and that sort of thing. I'm so grateful for that. But um, and I try not to dwell on um, what I don't have. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Because the other thing we always ask people is... um, what would you say to the perp or perpetrators? Like if like cards on the table, it's been mm-hmm. proved that they are operating bias, definitely. What would you say? Well, I mean, I think, you know, kind of like yeah. what I just said is that my size and, and my physicality doesn't have a bearing on my ability to tell a good yeah. story. You know, so often people are overlooked. Obviously, I mean, we know discrimination is a huge problem all over the world, and especially here in the United States, but all over the world. And I think that it also applies to body size. Mm -hmm something that you, I hope to encourage women and hope to encourage employers, people in casting, people in Hollywood to start giving women, especially women, Mm -hmm. a chance. It doesn't seem to affect men the Mm. same way. Um, I had a, there was an intern at my TV station where I worked several years ago who was doing her thesis, her college thesis on plus size reporters and how there literally aren't any. (laughs) There's like, if you notice in your local newscast, there's probably not anybody who's over weight, right? They all sort of look the same. They all have generally the same haircut. Nobody's really like plus size. And that's a huge problem because that's a huge portion of the population that isn't being represented in the news and in TV hosting and that sort of thing. Um, And so she did her whole thesis on me and compared to there's a several plus size 
male reporters oh. who say no one ever oh. comments on their size. No one ever tells them to lose weight. No one ever tells them um, that the clothes they wear don't look good or look too tight or whatever. And that happens to me a lot, a lot. Yeah. Like there's I, anytime I go live, like on our social media or anything like that, someone will, um, gosh, there's this one troll that always yeah. will say fat lives oh, matter. Wow every single time without the same person or just a same person person every time but then there's other people that sort of piggyback on that like someone actually called me miss piggy you know and i was like literally doing a fun story about you know i was like is that really necessary so um it happens a lot like and Mm. those are the the kinds of crimes that I think get dismissed a lot because nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to speak up about it. It's not a sexy (laughs) crime. You know what I mean? Like it's not a murdery bloody crime, but it certainly is a crime against um, humanity and women in particular. And it can really be um, disheartening. It can, it can really eat at your soul if you're not strong enough to handle those types of comments and, and stuff and like that. You shouldn't so. have to be strong. You shouldn't have to develop like a thick right. skin just to do right. your job. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. absolutely outrageous. Right. Exactly. I remember when we first started this podcast, yeah. knowing that it's all going to be women. We're going to be talking about sort of, you know, feminism and women's women's things and like women's <laughs> things. L- lady and, stuff. You know, it is that thing of, you know, you kind of pause. Like at the very beginning, I didn't even want to be in the podcast. And as we know, I'm like probably the most popular one. So no, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it we wouldn't w- even be here. <laughs> but like, we definitely stopped and we talked about the idea of sort of, you know, doing a podcast and that we'd probably get trolled just for being women as well, which sure. is kind of crazy. And then as yep. the podcast has got bigger yeah. and bigger, the sort of the risk gets higher and higher. But actually, the amount of sort of like mm-hmm. brilliant fans we have kind of really outweighs the occasional person. Yeah. The trolls. Yeah. yeah. I just found it so interesting you talking about reporters in the US. I've been in the UK for a long time, like 16 years. But I remember one of the first things that blew my mind is just looking at how different news reporters are here. Like you turn on the BBC and I was like, oh, the women, it's almost like they haven't been hired because of their looks. This is very strange. Mm-hmm. And now it's so weird when I go back and all of the women are just so done up and it's almost like yeah. the more yeah. right wing they are, the more they're done up to like the Fox News women there. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. And, but it's very prevalent here in Hollywood, too. I mean, you know, you've got a certain aesthetic that's expected as a Hollywood reporter or or even just being in L.A. Yeah. I mean, that's applied, honestly, to every news market. You look at Dallas, you look at, you know, your big news markets, New York. There's a certain way that women are supposed mm. to carry themselves. Like, I, you know, I used to joke around with my friends when I was graduating journalism school. There's a bunch of us girls who were all looking for reported jobs. We were hungry. Mm-hmm. We were ready to go out and tell stories. And we all were like, oh, I guess we got to go get the anchor haircut, <laughs> which was basically like we all had to get the same yeah. haircut, like short cut cropped because you can't have long hair because the wind will blow oh. it around. And when you're out live, that will draw away from your um, seriousness. And you had to have a certain cadence to your voice, which I'm sure you guys have noticed before with newscasters. Yeah. And so it's this sort of cookie cutter yeah. idea when it comes to newscasters that you can easily be put in any new situation in any market in the country and still tell a story and not be like offensive to look at mm. for someone if you're new to the market where they won't be like, oh, this woman is huge. <laughs> like, how can she do? How can she talk about these stories? You know what I mean? Like, you don't want to be distracting with your double chin, you know? No, but it's just... 
But that's a real thing that happens and nobody talks about it because most newsrooms in this country are run by men. Most general managers at the television stations here Mm -hmm. are men and they have been for many, many years. They have a certain aesthetic that they want their lady newscasters to to yeah. have. Yeah. It's mad. Yeah. It's mad. Like thinking about news here. Years, like the news in this country was always male. It was always sort of that clipped English of today. We are mm. like every single thing sounded as though you were going to war because that was yeah. the voice that everybody was doing. There was a cat right. tree and, you know, and it was so serious. And now, you know, things have changed, but actually there's not a huge, you know, there's not as much diversity in the news over here is, but you're right. Everybody doesn't yeah. look like Fox News and watching the election. Mm-hmm. It was interesting watching yeah. like, American newscasters. But it's crazy. Yeah. It's, yeah. We could slag off the systematic problems all day um, <laughs> because they are many. Just going back to Twitter and trolls and stuff, it's just, it is that thing as well as like when a woman sticks her head above the parapet and trolls go for her. They're sending a message to other women, stay in your box. So like the best thing we Mm -hmm. can do is just keep out of our boxes and just keep Keep. jumping up and down so they can all see our heads. Yes, absolutely. Don't change a thing. (laughs) Now it's time for drunk women solving crime. So we are now going to move on to the true crime section of the podcast. And I'm going to start telling you this story at the point where a woman admits herself into a boarding house. And this boarding house is called Temporary Homes for Females. Now, during the night, she starts to appear disturbed and she begins making accusations that the other boarders were insane. She's quoted as telling the assistant matron, there are so many crazy people about and one can never tell what they will do. She then refused to go to bed and eventually scared so many of the other boarders that the police were called to take her to a nearby courthouse. So my first question is, what year do you think this is? It sounds like my first year Mm. in college. (laughs) (laughs) Boarding house, a woman making accusations. I mean, maybe 1920s or 30s. 1920s or 30s from Heather. I might go a bit earlier than that. Like boarding house, it feels quite Victorian to me. I'm seeing Victorian London. I'm seeing 1887. I'll go with that. Okay, Hannah George. This is the Price is Right moment. Taylor Glenn. It is the Price is Right. (laughs) The first year that popped into my head was 1829. Okay. I can now tell you, and this almost never happens, but Hannah George is spot on. It is 1887. No way! That's what? I told you I was the best one. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's amazing. This is, this is like a lunar eclipse. This is incredible. I'm kind of freaked that's out because you didn't say, I'm thinking you said, I see. And now I'm like, die. are yeah. you really seeing things? We've been doing this too long is seeing what I'm things. suggesting. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, I've got a lot to live up to in this story. What's next, Jenny? <laughs> yes, it's only you can't be wrong now, now Hannah. Um, so, we have um, no pressure on us, but you... <laughs> So the year is 1887. The woman is taken to the courthouse. At the courthouse, she is examined by a police officer, a judge and a doctor who are to determine the state of her mental health. Mm. Sort of two questions, really. What do they conclude and what do they decide to do with her? Hysteria. Okay. And I don't want to answer the second part. (laughs) 
Okay. I mean, I would say maybe they think she's seen ghosts and maybe they tell her to get some rest. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I love it. Any advance, Hannah George? Yeah, no, that's that's a good one. I think, yeah, because it's 1887, whatever they, she's not going to have many rights, is she? So it sort of depends if she has a husband, as it often does in these cases, doesn't it? Like, so if she has a husband, it might be go home to your husband. Um, and he'll deal with you. Or if she doesn't, go home to your father. She's, it, it's going to involve going to a man. Okay. If she's been in this boarding house, then I don't think she has a support. Yeah, she's in a kind of such. a, um, like a female's own. That would be my, oh, yeah. I'm losing my lead here. Okay. Um, I just hope she's Panic, panic, panic. I, maybe they, oh God, they probably put her in jail, don't they? Pretty close. Um, so she is declared insane a probable lost cause, and she is sent to the asylum on Blackwell's Island, which is now called Roosevelt Island. Oh, wow. Hmm. Um, That's intense. (laughs) That's pretty decisive, (laughs) isn't it? So at this time in history, lots of women were taken to um, insane asylums for varying reasons, which we'll get into in a bit. So my next question is, what is unusual about this particular woman? Hmm. Just based on what you've told us so far. Yeah. So she's been declared insane. Lots of women get taken to asylum. She's been taken to a, this particular asylum. But what is unusual about this particular woman in this instance? Is she maybe like, I'm obsessed with linking this to a man, but if she may be the daughter of a prominent okay. family or something. So that's okay. what I was thinking okay. too initially. Maybe she's connected somehow to someone who wants to get rid of her. Like somebody Ooh. prominent in the community that's like, she got quickly right. dismissed because uh, she had an affair with someone. Okay, nice. I love it. Mm. Anything different, Taylor? I don't know why this popped into my head, but I wondered if maybe she had a disability of some sort. Okay. Uh, But I don't know. That doesn't feel like the question you ask. But that's interesting, like what Heather said about it being... Yeah, well, basically the, the thing at the beginning about the fact that she came in going like everybody else is kind of crazy which I suppose uh-huh. could be a mm-hmm. thing that you come in. But if perhaps she, like we were saying, she's she's had an affair or something and she's done something, something else, and people are saying, oh no, she's definitely, she's yeah, yeah. Well, maybe oh. she's being mm-hmm. silenced and sent to Roosevelt Island. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know what? I love everybody's answers. None of you have got it correct. Um, <laughs> the- <laughs> Katie really makes us feel good along the way. That's her superpower. But you guys have no such Like, that was really interesting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the thing that makes this particular woman different from the other women being sent to insane asylums at this time, she is faking it. She is not really insane. She's oh. an investigative journalist. Oh, oh snap. Does she have the proper oh, haircut? Oh, that's juicy. Yeah. She was like 21 Jump Street before <laughs> 21 Jump Street. So she was like posing to get into... She- the you know what? Yeah, hold that thought because she is basically the original and inventor of investigative journalism. Wow. Um, oh. So, in fact, you guys might, once I tell you her name, you guys will probably know her. Uh, yeah, so now she, this is really ringing a bell. So her name is Nellie Bly. And that's her pen name. Her real name was Elizabeth Cochran. Later, Seaman. Yes, no one's got anything funny. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. I'm like such a child. Like, <laughs> they said Seaman. <laughs> I'll go there. I love that. Like, it's taken women so long to be get, t- get taken seriously in journalism anyway. And then you go in with the name Seaman. <laughs> <laughs> 
And it was right. Like the founder of investigative journalism was a seaman. I love that she changed it oh to God, Nelly Seaman. What was it? Nelly Lenny Blythe. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. So Nelly Blythe, she ran with Nelly Blythe. That was her pen name. So she is pretending to be Nelly Brown, in fact, to get into the asylum. Uh, so that she can write about what it's really like inside. Now, she is writing for Joseph Pulitzer's newspaper, The New York World, and she's the first person to really do this. So she sort of invents exposés, and she was worried that she wouldn't be able to behave, you know, credibly insane to be able to trick everyone. But then she discovered it was super easy because, like, (laughs) everyone is terrified of insane people, and it's actually much, much harder to present as sane once everyone is convinced that you are insane. And so what she did was she stayed up all night to give herself this wide I'd look of a disturbed woman um, and she <laughs> like any likes, parent basically like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> one night staying up one night like come on Nelly <laughs> well I mean yeah she apparently told herself ghost stories to scare herself into staying awake ha ah, I knew there was a yes! ghost connection in there somewhere <laughs> there we go <laughs> I love the idea of telling yourself ghost stories and then at the window was a ghost <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh no that's gonna happen I know but ah yeah Um, god it was a simpler time (laughs) Mm -hmm. um so question what did Nellie Bly think she would discover about asylums before she went in what did she think I'm assuming if she's used to writing exposés she knows that the conditions are going to be very poor okay and she's ready for whatever that means she's ready to document that is that what you mean like what she yeah yeah so you think she's expecting the worst probably and was surprised by how much worse it even was. But yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think at the time, like there would, there was so little sort of research into mental health at that time as well. So, but it, it, you've got to think about it for that time, I suppose. For eighteen eighty seven, maybe they're being quite progressive there, and maybe you know, okay. because you look at some stories of asylums and you just think, wow, that what they did to people was tantamount to torture. Mm. But so, if it's not torture, then maybe she's like, but I think she's expecting to find something bad. I would say. Okay. Yeah, I would think that she's expected to find some like abuse going on or, you know, some some like the women are being abused or maybe they're not being fed or, you know, something like that. Tested on perhaps as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're all all kind of in agreement. There'll be some darkness. Now, she actually thought that they would be mainly nice. This is what she said. She said that she'd always wanted (laughs) to learn about these places to know for sure that the most helpless of God's creatures were truly being taken care of. Um, But she also said that she had heard some stories of abuse and mistreatment, but she dismissed them as exaggerated or else romances imagined by gossipy public. So she's sort of, she's, there's enough that she thinks there's a story and it's worth checking out, but it looks, it looked like she was maybe going in for more of a heartwarming story or something um, from the outside. To be like, look how nice these ladies in in the asylum have it. They get a, they're just sitting around luxuriating, (laughs) you know, and, and talking in women's circles and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think maybe that was what she thought the anger would be. And as you guys have already said, that is not what she discovers. It is of course a heartbreaking tale of woe and cruelty. Mm -hmm. So Nellie spends one night in the Bellevue hospital before she's transferred to Blackwell Island. Now Roosevelt Island. I don't know which one I should, shall I just call it Roosevelt Island? Sure. The first person Nellie meets is a poor chambermaid called Anne Neville. And Anne got sick, so she was being treated in a sister's home. But then her nephew lost his job and he couldn't afford to pay for her illness anymore. So she had to be transferred to Bellevue, which was a charity. So she was completely sane, but there just wasn't there wasn't any money or anything for her in an actual hospital. 
Um, oh, wow. But once she's in this insane place, like the doctors keep trying to confuse her so they can officially diagnose her as insane and stuff. Nearly all the, the women that um, she meets are not wealthy or, you know, they're from immigrant families and life in New York had left them with very few options outside of the asylum. And I think one of my sources said that it was a snake eating its own tail type of situation because these women were sent to an asylum regardless of the context or reasons. And then, of course, they were assumed insane. So then, you know, the questions were just used to confirm that they were insane um, that rather than anyone. So it's just bias in action. And then you've got this woman um, coming in telling everyone ghost stories and she's making it worse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> make it really shit story. <laughs> that whole thing. In particular, there was this one young woman called Tilly Maynard and she had recently recovered from a fever, but she was still suffering a nervous debility. And her friends had sent us to Bellevue, had sent her, did I say us? Uh-oh. Oh, God. Yes, you did. Sent us to Bellevue. Honestly, I'm so ill. Uh, her friends had sent her to Bellevue. And on learning that she'd been locked away, she, she, you know, goes to the doctor and says that she's sane. You know, she says to him, if you know anything at all, you should be able to tell that I am perfectly sane. Why don't you test me? And the doctor said, we know all we want to on that score. So they just, they really were not interested in helping wow. um, these women. So on most of these women, poor and female, which are the two very powerless sections of society. And there was also a stigma because that and then insanity and all of this. So Also, it's can- like so hard as well, isn't it? Sort of like that thing. The first time you say to your partner, I'm not mad. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> mad at you. It's like you, you can't then like convince him that you're not. So it's, yeah. like, it just gets right, worse the more right. you say it. I'm not. I swear. I swear it's fine. <laughs> And then you start getting yeah. more and more mad. No, I'm not mad. Yeah, and then after an hour, okay, I'm mad now. Great. Now I am mad. Now I'm mad. <laughs> what you've done. <laughs> so once she's been transferred to the island, Nellie stops acting insane and she just acts as her normal self because she was only trying to be crazy to get in. And she says the more sanely she talked, the crazier she was thought to be. Wow. So, question. It's like when you pretend to be drunk when you're acting, you should just try to be as sober as possible. It's exactly the same. Yes. <laughs> you can walk in a straight line and everything. Drunk women solving crime. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Question, what do we think the food was like? 
Okay. Probably a standard three course, uh, two yeah. protein. Yeah, I'm not sure nutritious. how the foie gras was in the late 1800s. Hmm. Um, maybe just like fish. Are they on an oh, island? Yeah. So maybe all they eat is that fish. That's a great like, guess, actually. Yeah. I imagine there probably there wasn't a lot of food, perhaps. Not yeah. plentiful is what I would say. Yeah, okay. Um, all excellent. Nelly described the food as barely edible. It was slightly spoiled and cold meat, um, thin and flavourless broth and tea, and bread that was black and dirty and hard, in places nothing more than dried dough, and which she found a spider in. Wow. And she can't make herself eat it, but the other residents are hungry enough that they nearly leap over each other to, to reach as much food as they can, and so they eat her bread without complaint. Do you know what? I bit um, into an apple the other day and I swear there was like a slug in it or something. It was like, it was so disgusting. But I bit into it and half of it had already gone into my mouth. Oh no! And then I like put the apple in some Tupperware in my fridge and kept it just in case I died and they wanted to see what happened. And I was like, Toby, wow. it's in the fridge. It's in the fridge if I like start hallucinating. And I was like, that could have been anything. Turns out I think it was just a bit mouldy, but... Um. Wow. <laughs> What I'm saying is we've all been there. I'm glad yeah. you survived. Yes, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's like that joke, what's worse than biting into an apple and finding a worm? A worm. Finding half a worm. Is that the joke? <laughs> yeah, that is the joke. Oh, yeah. I can remember jokes. that happening to you because we were chatting about something and you gave me the play-by-play and it was just the best thing that you saved it in case you died. Your worm eating. The psychedelic slug is still in the fridge. Okay. Also, not only was the food terrible, the nurses were terrible. They would taunt the inmates. Um, they were pretty brutal abusing them. There are several stories, you know, where a woman would be choked or given a black eye or has her hair pulled for no reason whatsoever by the nurses. And when she arrives, Nellie's given a freezing cold bath. When she's still wet, she's sort of put back to bed so that everything just gets wet. Like her hair's still wet, so she's mm. always freezing. There's a quote where she says, nearly all night long, I listen to a woman cry about the cold and beg for God to let her die. Another one yelled murder at frequent intervals and police at others until my flesh felt creepy. So if, wow. if anyone ever asks for more blankets or clothes, they're told they can't have them. Um, the nurses would say things like, this is a charity. You should be thankful for what you get and shouldn't complain. Um, oh my God. Poor Heather. This is midday for Heather because we're all in the UK and we're like eight o'clock having a beer. Like, okay. I've just barely started her work day. So this is bleak. Well, thanks so much for having me on, guys. This has been super uplifting. Yes. No, I mean, I knew there was going to be some crime and some darkness. I'm actually just glad that it's not like a bloody bludgeoning, like rapey yeah. situation. Cause I was like, I don't want to talk about yeah. that, but this is actually like interesting. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think this is fascinating. I love, I love oh, this cool. stuff. Okay, cool. Cause there's a bit more of the bleak stuff before we get to the, some more. Bring it on. I've got my wine. <laughs> oh, I've got my wine. So I'm good, you guys. So the like the the day of the inmates, they'd have they get up, they do all the cleaning and upkeep of the institution, clean the nurses' bedrooms and everything, and then they would have to just sit on a bench for no reason for several hours. They'd have to sit up straight, and if they slouched or anything, they'd be told off. And um, Nellie Bly writes um, about this that this causes the insanity that they supposedly treat. So in this quote, she says, "I was never so tired as I grew sitting on those benches. Several of the patients would sit." on one foot or sideways to make a change, but they were always reproved and told to sit up straight. If they talked, they were scolded and told to shut up. If they wanted to walk around in order to take the stiffness out of them, they were told to sit down and be still. What accepting torture would produce insanity quicker than this treatment? 
I would like the expert physicians who are condemning me for my action to take a perfectly sane and healthy woman, shut her up and make her sit from 6am to 8pm on straight back benches. Do not allow her to talk or move during those hours. Give her no reading and let her know nothing of the world or its doings. Give her bad food and harsh treatment and see how long it will take to make her insane. Two months would make her a mental and physical wreck. So my next question is, how long was Nellie Bly in this asylum for? Ooh, interesting. Just under two months. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I would say probably if she got out before she herself actually went crazy, which it sounds like maybe she did enough to at least write about the treatment. I would say maybe a month. Okay. I would say maybe yeah. a month. Because also it depends, like, these days, I guess, a sort of investigative journalist, they can go undercover for quite a while, depending on what they're doing. But because she was kind of inventing it at this time, she could be like, okay, day two, I'm out. I've invented investigative <laughs> journalism and it's mine. Yeah. Um, so I imagine, to be honest, she wouldn't have stayed that long just because it sounds awful. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go, like, Four days. That's about as long as I can send it, spend at Center Parks. So, um, <laughs> but then you have to wonder, like, how if they were so how she if she, how she got out. Like, if it was easy for her to mm-hmm. get out. Like, yeah, I would think maybe it would take some time of her convincing yeah. them. No, I'm actually not crazy. I'm a journalist, and then contacting someone on the outside to vouch for her. Like, I would imagine that that was a process that maybe took a while. Yeah. But I don't know. We don't know if she told somebody that she was going in, like, hey, extract me in yeah. four days or extract Just me in a month or whatever. You know what I mean? Point, so. I hope so. Plan. Okay. Okay. That's where my head went. I'm like, she wanted to stay for a week, but it turned into six months. Right. Yeah. It's right, like when you get exactly. a mate to call you when you're on a date and you're kind of like, just call me at six o'clock as a get out. That's what she needed. And I'm glad she did yes. it. She'd been on enough dates to know you need that mate calling you with an emergency. Yes. An exit plan. <laughs> I, yeah, I was thinking around a month. So I'll say uh, a little bit more. I'll say six weeks. Okay. Um, in that case, I got to give it to Hannah George. She stayed in there for 10 days. Okay. Which would be a lifetime, let's face it. It must have felt like a lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And and after 10 days, the newspaper went and got her out again. And that was the plan. Oh, good. Because that's what I was wondering. I was like, did she tell somebody that she was going in there? Otherwise, if she was she going rogue, (laughs) you know, inventing this new journalism and like because no, it's I mean, no one probably would have believed her if she was like, no, I'm actually a journalist. And they would have been like, whatever, lady with your lady. (laughs) When they do it in films and they do it like for people that are actual FBI agents and stuff. And they've managed to convince other people that they're mad and they're kind of like, (laughs) no, I'm an FBI agent. And like, and so the more. Yeah, like established you are, the worse it is to try and convince people that you're not mm. mad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whoa, real catch 22. I'm always, I'm always thinking about like, how would we take this to screen? So I've added like a sinister rival journalist who is the person that's supposed to come pick her up. But then she's like, I've never seen this woman. I don't know why she called me here. And then she just runs her hands across yes. the garage. She's like, your job is mine. Yeah. Oh my God. And it was her husband she had an affair with from earlier. 
<laughs> I love it. That makes me think of that show Harlots. Have you guys seen I Harlots? Watched it. It's good. <gasps> okay, listen. I love it. There is definitely a, these two rivalries between these two um basically like whorehouse okay. ladies, madams, I yeah. guess you want to call them. There's this rivalry and they are devious <gasps> with each other and it's so juicy and it's set like in the late okay. 1800s. Yeah. Um in London and it's oh, cool. it's such a oh, good cool. show. It's such a good show. Oh. Yeah, but that's what kind of makes me when you said that sort of rivalry, I was like, ooh, that's good because they put like plants in each right. other's like warehouses um so that a john or something may like try to get them in trouble okay. or you know whatever so there was yeah. like a lot of juicy rivalry stuff going on there but i like that idea that's a really good yeah. idea it is because all it's quite scary you're playing with fire because what if the, they don't come and get you oh, out again yeah. it's like a proper risk also i taken i guess she must have said like um okay, come and get me in 10 days because they didn't like have WhatsApp, did they? Because <laughs> <So, laughs> that's the other thing too, isn't it? It's like, yeah, come and get me in 10 days. But like, what if they come and get her in two months? What if, you know, something comes up or... You well, know... exactly. And what if yeah. 10 days is going to be awful, which it sounds like it was going mm. to be. And you suddenly... Mm-hmm. And women were treated so poorly then that they could have easily just been like, ah, let her stay. We've got men yeah. here who are better journalists anyway. Just leave her there. Yeah, She's fine. Yeah. She's having a nice vacation anyway you know like that's a huge risk no absolutely so but luckily it went to plan she gets out and she writes this story up and when this story breaks it is an absolute sensation the readers were shocked and enthralled so she ended up writing a blockbuster series for the new york world that basically this now shoots her to journalism stardom Uh, She wrote a book of it as well. She goes on to do all sorts. But then because of this, a grand jury launched an investigation into conditions of the asylum. Ah. um, And they even asked Bly to accompany them on a visit to the premises. So then we have this visit. So question, when Nellie Bly and the investigators arrived, have the ins- <laughs> had the asylum been warned of their approach? <laughs> yeah, this feels like an Ofsted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that's the body that investigates schools here. Not investigates, but they sort well, of the rank schools. Yeah. The inspectors are coming. So they like sweep up all the dirt and make the kids wash mm-hmm. their faces. And yeah. They tell like eight of the kids, like, don't speak. <laughs> yeah. They lock the troublemakers in the cupboard. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it feels like, yeah, they probably had a heads up. Okay, yeah. I just feel like Nellie was born in the wrong era because she would have made a killer podcast out of all this, wouldn't she? As well as the book, <laughs> mm-hmm. she would be oh. top of iTunes every single <laughs> Oh, week. absolutely. Oh, she would have sold the rights to this by now. <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> Again, it sort of goes in their, in their favour, doesn't it? In the sense that if, if the people in the asylum, if the women in the asylum are saying, yes, this is awful, this is how they treat us, they can just go, oh no, that's just, that's in their minds. Yeah. 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 Do you agree, Heather? I do think they were. Yeah, I do think they were probably warned and made aware of it because I'm sure they saw the article when it came out in the paper and they probably (laughs) saw all the hubbub about it, you know, and I think that I just am super distrusting of anybody from previous time periods because they're just mostly terrible (laughs) people. Like mostly because women were not treated right. Children were not treated right. Like I just, um, so I feel like they probably did anything Mm -hmm. they could to kind of cover the evidence and make it look nice. Yeah, you guys are all absolutely on the money. Good instincts. Mm. They were absolutely tipped off and they shouldn't have been, but they were definitely prepared for this visit. So um, this time the boat, even taking them to the island is clean and new. 
And then the stories of the nurses and doctors contradicted Nellie's stories, but also they contradicted each other. Oh, get and your then, stories straight, guys. Like, that's, yeah. yeah. Lying 101 is just make sure, like, it can't have been that big a place that. Yeah. And also the right. kind of story is, it's actually nice here. It's fine. Like, that's yeah. not that hard to follow. Right. Yeah. Right. Can't be like, no, I wasn't the one hitting anyone. Oh, I mean, nobody was hitting anyone. <laughs> like, yeah, lie better, but no. So everyone avoided responsibility for the condition, saying they didn't know how the, the treatment, the food, the clothing came to be, as Nellie Bly had written about it. And the kitchen suddenly had salt and clean white bread. Um, but most suspiciously, all the women who um, Bly had quoted and who she'd written about as being as sane as her had been discharged or transferred <gasps> or moved to another quarter where oh. she couldn't see them. So the asylum <sighs> had taken Dirty. a lot of steps to cover up its egregious abuse. Mm. So my next question, do the grand jury believe Nelly or the asylum? Ooh. Oh. Ooh. I think they believe the asylum. Because okay. I just feel like in that time period, women were not trusted. Yeah. And if she, unless she had like photographic mm. evidence of it, which it doesn't sound like she had a camera or her cell phone yeah. with her. Um, <laughs> I just think that they probably sided with the asylum because they're like, oh, you know, she, here's this woman trying to be a journalist, yeah. trying to do something. And she's probably just being hysterical and making up stories for attention. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we've got a, asylum from Heather. You guys? Oh, God, yeah. I think asylum as well, unfortunately. I think and I'm basing that on the fact that I don't think asylums suddenly got any better after 1887. I feel like, you know, right. if you look at really like, you know, any any asylum in the sort of following 50, 60 years or whatever before they actually even like Nurse Ratchet, like, you know, the Netflix series, like yeah. they're doing like ice pick lobotomies. Mm -hmm. Like it feels yeah. like things don't necessarily get much better. So yeah, I'd love it if Nelly was believed, but I feel, yeah, I'm going to have to go with Heather on this one. Yeah. Okay. Taylor? So as we know, I have a very patchy memory, especially with history, but I feel like I learned about this case at some point in my life, and I feel like uh -huh. there are some reforms made okay. after all of this. So okay. I'm cautiously optimistic that something, yeah, did go in favor of the, the treatment of the... Okay. Patience, but oh, I could okay, be conflating so it with a different story. So we've got um, Heather and Hannah saying asylum and Taylor cautiously saying they believe Nellie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Taylor gets it. Oh, good. Well, I'm Bro. pleased pleased to lose that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a good one to lose. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they did. The grand jury believed her, thank goodness. But also, you know, the asylum hadn't done the best job of, you know, they really tried to cover their tracks, but it was just very suspicious. Everything they'd done was a okay. little bit heavy handed and con they contradicted each other. And, you know, they'd moved all of those patients and whatever. So the grand jury's report recommended the changes that Bly had proposed and uh, called for a sum of nearly um, $850,000 to be added to the budget of the de Department of Public Charities and Corrections. And the jury also attempted to make future examinations more thorough so that only the seriously ill were admitted to the asylums. Everyone lived happily ever after in mental health. Yeah. Really seriously now. Uh, slight glitch with the lobotomies, obviously. Um, right. <laughs> yay. 
But it obviously wasn't like sweeping reform because, yeah, I mean, to Hannah's point, there are still asylums, you know, that are where there's a continuous, you know, mistreatment for many years Mm -hmm. after that. So there obviously wasn't like sweeping reform to come out of that. But, you know, maybe there was some change that happened, uh, at least made a difference for those women that were there. Yeah, I think this was maybe like the start of small reforms, which led to more reforms, which led to more reforms. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm sure that it was very patchy. I mean, it starts so basic. It's like, okay, maybe the nurses shouldn't be able to punch him in the eye for fun. (laughs) Some white bread and salt. (laughs) <laughs> yes but that's only the most nutritious yes. spiders now they are my two favorite food groups though so um i'd have been quite happy there i think but also oh, like, yeah, i think sure. the interesting thing here is like did they get into i don't know i bet no but did they get into any trouble for lying and trying to cover this up um hmm. i didn't read about any kind of prosecution actually the focus was definitely on um improving conditions rather than punishing mm. Because I always find it, because it's not even like punishing them for running it badly for so long. It's just that thing of wanting mm-hmm. to willfully cover up. Because it just reminds me of our government at the moment. And it's like, oh, this person acted unlawfully. This person acted unlawfully. Are they still in their job and are there zero consequences? Yeah. Yes. And it yeah. kind of, I mean, it would shock me if there were any consequences 150 years ago. But. Yeah. It's- <laughs> right. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. I was like, do, the time itself. I highly doubt that they were like, oh, let's, you know, the constable or whoever was yeah. running the the asylum, um, the doctor, head doctor, whatever, probably had a lot of bribes going on, you know, mm. and a lot of like side deals with people. So he probably got a- away with it. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a consequence for the environment. <laughs> I also read way too many like historical fiction books and watch those types yeah. of shows of like just shady CD <laughs> stuff happening a hundred years ago. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm like, trust no yeah. one. You can't trust anyone in history. No, you can't because there are no laws that could touch them. So just, yeah, no it's, it's terrifying, really. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I read about this case and I, I actually got the idea for it from this article in um, Jezebel about like the forgotten women reporters who changed the face of journalism. And um, they were called oh. the stunt girls because, like, obviously the men got called, you know, journalists. But they got called stunt girls because they were doing stunts. Of course. People. Of course. Not real journalism. Not, just for yeah, show. It's not journalism when women do it. It wasn't termed investigative, but they really redefined so much stuff. So she's this Nelly is like kind of the most famous one, but there was a whole bunch of them that like exposed loads of stuff. And there's this book out by Kim Todd sensational the hidden history of america's stunt girl reporters which did sound really interesting yeah that sounds um, amazing i'd love to know like more about also like what women had to do to actually get attention as journalists in those (laughs) days and they again Mm. it's that thing of having to just be 10 times better to be you know to be yeah be more Mm. creative more think like you said earlier think outside the box i think it was like the most perfect crime for me since I am a journalist and I've been yeah. doing this for such a long time, I wish I was that creative and that bold. I think I was when I was younger, but definitely not now. Now I'm like, oh, how far do I have to drive <laughs> to this story? Am I going to be on the freeway for a long time? Oh, okay. I'm going to pass. Yeah, yeah, you got to wait up. Do I have to put makeup on to go cover this story? Um, okay. <laughs> it's late. I've definitely like lost my edge a little bit. <laughs> that's good though. Drunk women solving crime. 
So this is a listener crime that was sent. I mean, it came into our inbox like uh, I swear it was like 3 a.m., which I really love. But I assume this person is in a different country and isn't having 3 a.m. sandwiches. But it says, fellow drunk women, (laughs) I was having a quick bite at a deli for lunch around the corner from work. I stepped away from my sandwich to use the restroom. I covered my sandwich with a napkin just in case. But when I got back, my sandwich was gone. It couldn't have been gone for more than three minutes. And nobody was seen taking it by the other patrons. My table was closer to the store window than the sidewalk. So it just doesn't make Mm. sense. She didn't even put a name at the end there. She ended email with, it just doesn't make sense. Did someone, did the waiter come and clean up? Yeah, that's I mean, a good shout. That's why, that's why I'm ritual, that would be my initial thing and be like, oh man, they must have thought I was done because you put a napkin over it. That signals, at least in my mind, that you're done with the plate. I don't know. Yeah, if that's, that's, that's very really true. Good point. She pretty Uh-oh. much did the universal thing for I'm finished with my food. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we used to like, is this a universal thing that we'd, if you put your knife and fork down in the middle of the plate, that meant you were finished or is that just yeah if they were mm-hmm. together mm. yeah if you put them yeah together. or and that can, there, and- yeah there are apparently like official if you cross your cutlery then you're midway through the meal and they're not supposed to take it i don't think anyone mm. still follows this <sighs> and then if they're straight you're finished but there, yeah, there's like I, symbols. I hate having to do that thing in a bar where I've got mm-hmm. like the tiniest bit of wine left and a waiter comes to collect it and I go, no! Like, <laughs> yeah, you're like, no, I'm going to drink that. Yes. Well, it's it's so expensive. I like, I don't know how much it is there, but it's so expensive here. Like in LA, you go out and it's like $15 for a four ounce glass of wine at yeah. some places. And yeah. I'm like, I'm literally going to drink <laughs> yes! every drop of this if I'm spending 15 bucks. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so maybe she just put her napkin over and, and someone was like, oh, she's yeah. done. Okay. So this, I, gotta actually, say, I think we solved it. Well, what I, I like about this, and actually I've got a name now, it's Jess. And what I like about Jess's oh. um, email is that she emailed 10 minutes later to say, hi again, I'm the one with the case of the missing sandwich. I forgot to mention that the plate was still on the table. A server didn't just remove the plate and I was astounded by missing oh. plate. Wait, she said oh. it wasn't. Okay, just letting you know. I'm, so was the plate still there? Just the I sandwich just was the gone. the sandwich was gone. Was there a dog in there? Ooh. I'm going to blame a canine. And a dog. Oh, do you know what? I'm going to blame. It sounds, do you remember, um, Taylor, you once told us that you used to, when you were a student, you used to <laughs> dare each other to go into restaurants and steal food. Yes. And I'm you like, know what? I was going to bring that up. But I'm like, don't tell that again. But here we are. But could, yeah, could it so have been maybe young Taylor? It was a young, misunderstood, creative, wonderful student. gal <laughs> who just couldn't say no to a dare. Yeah. <laughs> I would and also I would have done that like for no money just like I dare you to go eat that person's sandwich like just <laughs> just to show that I'm brave I would do have done it. it at a certain <laughs> the dog theory would make more sense especially now in the time of COVID yeah. I can't imagine eating someone's yeah, sandwich right now. This is you know very, what I mean very, very good we are in a pandemic <laughs> unless somebody is still just like you know, I'm vaccinated. Woo! I'm going to eat yeah, random food. Yeah. You know, it's, like, it's either, I, I can't imagine it's either a vaccine denier or somebody who's very proud of their two vaccines and really <laughs> wanted to do a dare. Yeah. Oh, it's a fucking boomer, isn't it? That's yeah. who it is. It's somebody over 60 who owns their own house and thinks, oh, there's a sandwich. It's mine. I deserve everything. I'm going to take it. <laughs> I think the thing yes. I would say to Jess is um, just thank God it wasn't a laptop. 
because that's the thing that people leave on tables sometimes oh. to go for a wee. And I just think you're crazy, man. I would n- no, I would never. Yeah. I mm-hmm. don't know. I've had some sandwiches <laughs> where I'd be just as upset oh and God. some shitty laptops. <laughs> okay. But yeah. Well, I feel like it's solved. <laughs> yeah. That's how we got to the bottom of it. And that's what matters. Ooh. Well, now it just remains for us to hear more about Heather. What are you up to? Where can we find you? <gasps> Yay. Well, I would absolutely love it if everybody would check out my oh, podcast. Yeah. It's called Motherhood in Hollywood. Um, I've done almost 250 wow. episodes where I've wow. interviewed celebrities, um, uh, influencers in yeah. Hollywood, directors, producers, writers about their experience as parents in the, um, in, in the movie industry wow. in Hollywood. And then um, people can also follow my adventure as an actor and reporter and mom on my Instagram and TikTok um, and Facebook, uh, the Heather Brooker, if you want to follow me over there. And then you can also check out motherhoodinhollywood.com. And that's where I sometimes post, you know, write things about what I'm doing. And that's where I share my podcast as well. So I would love that. Yeah, I would love that. That sounds so good. So what in Motherhood in Hollywood, what kinds of stuff comes up in the podcast? Well, I mean, it depends on the the person I'm talking to and their individual story. Like I recently interviewed a mother-daughter duo who um, the mom is an actor and her daughter got into acting several years ago and her daughter surpassed her mom in terms of like celebrity and bookings Mm. and work. Her daughter is actually star in some huge movies um, that are going to be coming out. And so it was really interesting to hear their perspective. They also don't live in Hollywood. They live in North Carolina where they lead a very normal life. It's just her daughter happens to be a big movie star, you know? So like, to me, that's a really interesting story. And then I, you know, I will interview someone like, you know, a Sherry Shepard or Elizabeth Shue who have been in the business for a very long time. And so it just depends, you know, it kind of like what happens with you guys, what comes up organically and whatever conversations you have. I'm curious to hear people's stories and how they're balancing or juggling Mm. their family life while pursuing their dreams in this industry, because it's not a normal nine to five job um, for a parent where you can go in talk to your other parents and go, Hey, how are you handling sleep yeah. issues? And what are you doing with nur- yeah. you know, nursing struggles or, Hey, what school uh, issues are you having? There's not that sort of community, yeah. especially if you're not on a series regular or a, um, a show or movie regularly. Um, so we talk about that and I sort of try to glean whatever I can from these wonderful stories mm. and um, find things that I can apply in my own life and my yeah. own um, world. And then I share it with my community awesome. as well. So it's been a really wonderful experience and I'm, yeah, I love it. That sounds I love it. awesome. I love it. This is everything I need to know. Balancing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wicked. Thank you so much for yes. joining us. You've been a, such a fantastic guest. Give it up for Heather Brooker. Thank you, Yay! Thank you guys. This was so much fun. <laughs> Drunk Women Solving Crime is produced by Amanda Redman. Music by The Lion and the Wolf. If you would like to, you can follow us on Drunk women pod on twitter on facebook and insta we are drunk women solving crime and please review us on apple podcast and also if you have a crime that you would like us to solve write it on a review on apple podcast as well thank you to acas and thank you for listening bye hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 